I'm Luca Doncic and this is Locked On Mavericks Podcast. This is gonna be huge. Yeah. 360 in the contract. Never that. I just take the contact. I bring it back. I'm running on the fast break behind the back. Yeah, this that, this that, this that. Jerk with the back. Oh, welcome. You are locked on to the Dallas Mavericks. My name is Nick Engstead, media member of MavsMoneyball.com, and I am joined. For the first time from the Locked On Knicks. What you got for me, Alex? <laughs> I don't know, man. I got stuff. What do you want to get into first? There's a lot <laughs> to unpack here. I already unpacked it. We spent like an hour on our podcast yesterday about all of this. There's, we did. there's quite a bit to unpack. Man, we just did two pods in 24 hours, just like an instant reaction of me and Isaac just screaming and trying to figure out how we feel about it. And then we did like a more formal breakdown where we went through and kind of tried to rationally look through all the, the angles. But today uh, I wanted to bring Alex Wolf on from the Locked On Knicks podcast and from Posting and Toasting, the SB Nation blog for the Knicks, to talk about the Knicks side of it because we only hear from me and Isaac who just talk about the Mavericks side. And so I wanted to get the Knicks side of it and get somebody's perspective who could be uh, kind of upset about this trade or could be all for it. Uh, there's all kinds of diff- different angles I feel like Knicks fans are taking right now. Uh, Alex, what are you feeling about the trade? What was your initial reaction to the trade? And then after, you know, around 24 hours or so, how are you feeling about it now? Well, so I'd say my initial reaction was I hated it. Um, and I feel like Knicks fans probably did because, you know, this is the guy that we were like kind of banking on to be like the savior of the franchise. And I mean, I'm you and everybody else in the whole freaking world is aware of the fact that the Knicks just have sucked for like a really long time. Mm-hmm. And Porzingis seemed like he could have been a part of the process to make that not be the case anymore. So it definitely sucked like to see that he was traded. And initially, like I, I forget what first tweet said from, and even from whom it was, but I just remember the first tweet was basically like, it's Dennis Smith jr. For Chris Daps Porzingis. And I was like, what is going on? Like that is ridiculous. <laughs> like that is so bad. And so, like, the initial reaction was, like, this sucks, dude. Like, this is terrible. <laughs> and then the more that came out, I, I became very quickly at peace with it because it just seemed to me, based off of the reporting from Nick's beat writers, from the national guys, from everything else, that it seemed like it was sort of an open secret for at least the last, like, month or so that Chris wasn't happy with the Knicks for whatever reason and was – at some point or another going to express that discontent to ownership and, and it, you know, even though it hadn't formally done it yet. And so they started, they started exploring options. It sounds like as much as like two to three weeks ago, you know, kind of doing their due diligence and getting a couple trades, you know, at least on the table, which I think is smart. Uh, I I've actually, I've had like a really unsettling amount of respect for the, for the Knicks front office for the last couple years since Scott Perry got in there, which is just like a weird feeling to have for a Knicks (laughs) fan about the Knicks front office. Yeah. uh, So they did that. They did their due diligence. And then, uh, you know, that's why when, when the shit kind of hit the fan, it all happened so quickly because, you know, Porzingis or whoever went to uh, Woj and dropped the, dropped the bomb there about the, you know, he's, he had the meeting with management, blah, blah, blah. Like he's not happy. And then the trade happened two hours later because they had already kind of done their due diligence with the whole thing. But, but uh, yeah, 
my feeling on it now is that if Porzingis was legitimately willing to turn down a $150 million extension and sign a one-year $4.5 million qualifying offer, which has been like lightly reported in a couple places, um, that's uh, it was a trainer to trade him before the deadline because once he signs that QO, there's all kinds of uh, – all kinds of weird salary cap and trading rules that you have to adhere to. Uh, his contract becomes tiny then, which is harder to match up with like bigger salaries and trades and stuff. And it's just, it would have been a mess. And, and then his value goes down too. If he's essentially just a, you know, a one year rental rather than, you know, a player that you can at least carry his restricted free agent rights into this offseason, regardless of whether he signs the QO or not you at least have a shot to, you know, try to convince him over these next couple months to try to re-sign on a bigger deal. So, but from the Knicks perspective, I think the return was pretty good. I can't imagine they would have gotten too much more uh, because stars just don't seem to fetch as much as they used to trades anymore because teams are more defensive of their first round picks and things of that nature. But yeah, I don't know, at the risk of rambling too much longer because I feel like I'm already taking up like half the whole show uh, yeah, that's basically how I feel. I'm at peace with it. I've already moved on. I did not really like how KP conducted himself, like social media and stuff right after. I thought he came off as kind of a jerk. Yeah, but, so the, I, but Alex, the truth will come out. It will. Yeah, the truth will come out. Yeah, what's the truth? Like, I, <laughs> either way, I, you know, I was I was sad in the moment. Now I'm like, forget it, man. Like, he's gone. I, I don't feel anything for him now. So it's like... I'm numb. It's like I'm numb he now. broke up with us, and then we realized that he was cheating on us. You know what I mean? Like, oh, it's just, I don't dang. feel for him at all now. Did you feel like that when you yeah. realized that he wasn't rehabbing in Latvia, that he was actually secretly rehabbing with Real Madrid in Spain? That was such a weird story. Yeah, I don't know. There was just – everything was always weird. And, you know, and you look at when you're – when it's, like, your player on your team that yeah. you want to love so much. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's one of those deals where it's not – that I looked at before like before I was just like oh he likes being in Latvia like you know that's understandable that's where he's from stuff like that and the reality thing was kind of weird but he had connections there so I guess that sort of made sense and but there's just all kinds of weird stuff with him man like he's a kook you know like <laughs> the more that the, the more that I think about it like he just there's so many weird things social media and and just the way that he generally conducted himself, I don't know. It was like all stuff that you just kind of overlook as a fan of the player and the team that he plays for. But now I can fully look back and be like, yeah, well, okay, weird. Well, it doesn't <laughs> help over the last you know year, year and a half that he's been on the bench more often than he's been playing too, right? Like, like Luca right now. If Luca does anything dumb, play, you know, Mavs fans are going to be like, oh, well, you know, he's he's still playing out of his mind. You know, we can we can overlook some weird stuff, some quirks here and there, or some some kind of weird behavior like you're talking with with uh Porzingis but if he's just on the bench and he's you know injured and he's not playing then that stuff is all you have like the antics off the court is you know you don't have the the on the court stuff to look out to be over um to just look at and be like oh that's fine he's we, he's he's playing super well and I don't care we're winning games or we're at le- he's at least making us interesting and so I'm okay with it you just don't have that yeah, I mean, like, if if this was, you know, 
last year when Porzingis started off the season like completely on fire and he was going nuts and he did something kind of weird, we all have just been like, who gives a shit? Like he's scoring 30 points a game right now and he's doing it efficiently and we're having a great time, just like what you said with Luca. So, yeah, I, it's all kind of magnified when he, he's not even playing and it seems like he was trying to run like him and his brother were maybe trying. It, it's been reported like in a couple places that maybe he and his brother were trying to make power plays behind the scenes and stuff like trying to insert themselves in personnel decisions and stuff like that. And I'm like, nah, man, like that, that ain't it. Like you're not doing that. Yeah. When what? You've been hurt for so long and like you really haven't. It, he's been off the court almost as much as he was on the court with the Knicks, you know, when you look at it all told. So, yeah, I totally get where you're coming from there. Like, it's it, it's definitely more excusable when you're healthy to be kind of weird than it is when you're healthy because then you're just under the microscope the whole time. What is up with his brother? So his brother Giannis, which is J-A-N-I-S, not like Giannis, like Giannis Antetokounmpo, um, is his agent. That's That seems kind of weird. That seems like a whole... You know, we made fun of Kawhi for having his uncle. You know, what was his uncle Dennis was his agent, and we were like, "This is kind of weird." Mm-hmm. You know, like the family member that is the agent and making weird moves, and people keep talking about, "Well, Uncle Dennis wants this. Uncle Dennis wants this." And now we have a brother <laughs> on that, that same vein, and uh, he was a pro ball player too. Like, he, didn't he play overseas? Uh, I think I saw Hoops Hype post like they post this 10, 10 things you didn't know about Christoph Porzingis, and it said his brother played overseas for sixteen different clubs, and I was like, <laughs> I just thought. That's a, that seems like a lot <laughs> to play in for yeah, that many I, different teams. So what's up with his brother? He was like really good. Yeah, yeah. His brother didn't play for a bunch of teams because he was really good. His yeah. brother <laughs> played for a bunch of teams because he wasn't very good. Um, it, from what I understand, I I don't know that much about Giannis's like pro career. I just know he played in a lot of lower leagues, and you know was obviously not good enough to make it. Um, I think. Personally, and I mean, this is probably kind of a hot take and this is not like really all that sourced or whatever. This is just kind of my personal feeling. But I think he's kind of living vicariously through Chris Stapps and, mm. you know, as a result. So were most has- Knicks fans, though, in his defense. Yeah, uh, but I mean, it's different. <laughs> like, it's, like Knicks yeah, yeah, fans yeah. live vicariously through, you know, as a fan, you live vicariously in one way. But I think yeah, yeah. Giannis is literally looking at this like his big break. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, least, he gets the, he gets the cut if he's the agent. Yeah, no doubt. Like, but he wasn't always his agent. Like when when KP first came over, don't believe Giannis was his agent. He was just like part of his like team or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then at a certain point, Giannis took over actually as his agent uh, rather than just as his like advisor or whatever his previous title was or whatever. But. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I think I think that Giannis. I don't know. I I think that he just thinks that he has a lot in the organization, and I think that I think that basically what led to this whole situation with the Knicks and you know KP and how it all deteriorated so quickly is I read some reporting. It was on Yahoo Sports that. Uh, Giannis was trying to like make power plays and dictate how the Knicks built their roster and, you know, know, suggesting that they should trade a whole bunch of guys to try to get another star to pair with KP or whatever, when KP hadn't even seen the floor yet this year. And as we now know, probably won't see the floor this year. So I don't know. I, I 
it's just essentially like they tried to make a power play and the Knicks kind of called their bluff and were like, okay, well, you're out of here. Like, that's it. But that's just my read on the situation personally. Interesting. It's th- That whole brother as the agent thing is very, very interesting to me because now the Mavericks have this whole thing where you know, the day of the trade, just hours after the trade was even reported, Shams came out with a tweet that said he's ex- you know expecting to sign the qualifying offer and play for the the one year. And and Mavs fans, literally, we just went through this with Nerlens, like literally just the exact same thing. Traded for a guy, he came in. Nerlens actually played uh, halfway through the season, but at the trade deadline, traded for Nerlens, and then he decides to sign his qualifying offer instead of taking what was reported as a four year, seventy million dollar deal. And uh, and then after his qualifying offer, he just ended up leaving uh, in free agency. The Mavs, you know, I had uh, forgotten about that. Yeah, so this. Yeah, could... I had forgotten about that about the Nerland situation. So yeah, yeah, that's kind of a kind of a fresh wound. <laughs> yeah, so so you hear that, and you're like, you're all of a sudden thinking, dang, are we going to do this again with another you know young big guy? And um, and then another report, I think it was from Woj, came out and said that you know he hasn't decided what he's going to do yet, and so. Um, it's just weird. Who, who knows where where the information is coming from, from what source. Sometimes you can kind of tell that it's coming from an agent. Um, the qualifying offer thing does kind of seem like an agent thing. Um, but I don't know. The Mavs should call his bluff on it, and they probably will. Um, but he's a Maverick now, and we'll see. And uh, he'll, he'll, he'll at least play next year, right? I mean, he's a restricted free agent, so he's got to either sign the qualifying offer or sign the, the deal. He can't just, you know, the Mavs aren't going to rescind his rights, so. He's at least a, yeah, a Maverick no, for it, one year it, after this year. Yeah, he'll sign the QO for sure, if nothing else. Like, he kind of has to. Like, you don't have much choice as a restricted free agent if you're trying to just get out of there in one year. I I still don't know. It's going to be weird to – like, there might be – he might sign maybe a two-plus-one uh, deal with the Mavs. I think that's a real possibility to do it that way. Um, Just to, so that he gets a quicker out. I think that – Obviously, he and Luca are buddies. You know, it's kind of well documented that they're friends from their time in Europe, and they, you know, they really like each other. His first, you know, I would say disrespectful. I don't know if everybody else would say it. Tweet uh, was him and Luca like dapping each other up, and that was the first he said. He even said, thanks to New York, thanks to the fans, whatever. <laughs> he just shows him and Luca. So clearly, he's excited about that. Yeah. Uh, but it, you know, I don't know. I don't know how he's going to react to the whole thing but i think there's i think the mavs definitely have a decent chance just because of the luca factor of resigning him to something for more than the qo once he kind of gets settled in there and gets comfortable and all that stuff but who knows if he can even get that comfortable if he's not going to play the year you know that's that's the other thing he would probably want to court and make sure things work on the basketball court and he's not going to get that shot if he's if he's sitting for the whole year so that kind of complicates things too well, if you're listening, Kristaps, it's going to freaking work, man. You and Luca are probably one of the, the best combinations of young players in the NBA. Just the, just the idea of your skills, theoretically, if you're listening out there, it's, it's going to work, believe me. I'm, and I'm sure that's what Carlisle is telling him like every day. Um, all right, let's talk, about, let's talk about some other stuff. So the Mavericks didn't just get Kristaps. They also got Tim Hardaway Jr., Courtney Lee, and Trey Burke. Uh, tell me some more about Tim Hardaway Jr. He seems like a guy that got a bad rap. He was, you know, this gunner that came off the bench for Atlanta um, with with Dennis Schroeder when they had that uh, really good team, and then all of a sudden he gets signed to this massive deal in New York, and he becomes one of another kind of casualty of the 2016, you know, 
Uh, or was he signed in 2016? Another casualty of a guy that got overpaid and now he's only looked at as his contract, right? So what does he bring to a team besides just, you know, this massive contract? Yeah, he actually, he was, he was signed in 2017. So he wasn't a 2016 signee, which makes it a little more inexcusable even that he wasn't just, you know, one (laughs) of those like guys that got signed when everybody thought the money was unlimited. Right. Uh, but he's, I'm actually, if you could believe it, I'm more excited to talk about the other three guys that went out in the trade than I am about Chris Stapps because I feel less scorned by them. (laughs) So I'm ready for this. I'm talking about Tim. I actually liked him personally. Uh, He was definitely one of the most polarizing players on the Knicks because I think a lot of people couldn't really conflate what he did on the court to what his contract figure was, which is sort of understandable. But I don't think that what he did on the court when he was in a situation, he was in like the proper situation was necessarily even that bad compared to what he was getting paid. Um, basically, like when he was when he was in a situation where he didn't have to be a top option, I think he's good. And obviously, he's not going to have to do that on the Mavericks. Like even from day one, without Porzingis, like Luca is the top guy. And Tim can, you know, become a secondary option again. And then eventually when Porzingis comes back, he'll be a third option. And I think Mavericks and Mavs fans will probably come to appreciate him in a way because of that. Because he's a guy that this year for the Knicks was getting a lot of crap, I think, from fans because he was asked to shoulder more of a workload than he should ever be asked to shoulder. And any player in that situation is going to, like, you know, not look as good as they should because he's just he's not a top option in the league but when he's able to just kind of find his spots and uh you know not be relied on to take such a high percentage of the shots he's actually pretty good uh pretty good three-point shooter he i don't have his percentages in front of me to be totally honest but he was shooting a, a fairly good percentage this year from three, even if his overall field goal percentage was lacking. Like I think his I think his overall field goal percentage was a hair under forty percent, but he was shooting like thirty-seven percent from three or something like that. And that overall field goal percentage number on a team where he doesn't have to be the primary option should go up because he'll get, you know, better better lanes to cut and even just less attention uh from defenders, which will allow him to get to the hoop more and stuff like that. So I, I think he'll be pretty good. I think he's going to be a good fit for the Mavericks. Um, if I had to guess, and having not watched a ton of the Mavericks with uh, Wes Matthews, I would say that he's probably going to fill a similar role to what Wes Matthews played on the team, but be better at it, I think, because I think Tim is actually a pretty good player. Oh, you mean he's going to take like really ridiculous shots in crunch time that he has no business taking and make everybody upset? Oh, that's definitely going to happen. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Tim Tim doesn't really have much of a conscience when he feels like he's feeling it. Uh, it's probably the biggest detractor is like his shot selection leaves a lot to be desired. Sometimes um, he'll he'll go through stretches where he takes good shots within the flow of the offense and all that. But then it seems like sometimes when he's trying to like pull like the lawnmower ripcord, you know, and get himself going, and the engine's just not turning over, he'll he'll take just really really bad shots to make you scratch your head a little bit uh but hopefully again you know in a in a well-structured offense where he's not being asked to shoulder so much burden and especially with rick carlisle who's like so respected and consistently gets the best out of his players uh i think 
I think he'll be in a good landing spot. And I think generally some of those issues should be cleaned up. Yeah, Monte Ellis turned into a borderline all-star with Rick Carlisle. So I expect some good things from Tim Hardaway Jr. for sure. Yeah, and no doubt he's overpaid. But it doesn't really matter to the Mavericks now, I don't think, right? Because like no. the Mavericks weren't going to be free agency players or anything really anyway. So, And they just got like their guy with Chris Stapps now. So you know, his cat figure shouldn't be as much of an issue either. For the Knicks, it was really prohibitive, you know, and that's why I think they they went the route of trading Porzingis to clear off that money rather than, you know, trying to get more like young players or draft picks back is because, you know, like his his contract was definitely prohibiting whatever the Knicks want to do this offseason or whatever they think they can do. So, oh, for sure. For sure. That was a major, major, major part of it. Um, yeah, there's all kinds of weird things. So you can look at this trade as saying, oh, they just they just used Kristaps as a sweetener to uh, you know offload those contracts, and that's kind of weird. But then they also got two first round picks back. They got Dennis back, and you're thinking, well, then they you know you could look at it as the Mavericks trying to you know pay as much as they can and take on that salary to get Kristaps Porzingis. So it's just it's just a very weird, you know. Uh, weird deal but it kind of it kind of works in both ways for what the knicks want to do and for what the mavericks are trying to do what do you think about courtney lee what's the uh what's the thoughts on him a little bit older than than tim hardaway jr he's had this neck injury that seems to be keeping him out and uh what's the deal with that no he's he's not injured anymore he's been healthy for the better part of two months um he's just been getting dnps and unlike I won't bore you guys too much with all of my grumpiness, but like, <laughs> unlike Ennis Cantor on the Knicks, who Ooh. bitches and moans every time that he does not see the court, uh, Courtney Lee's been a really good soldier this season. He's just like a pro's pro. Like, he's gotten his playing time when he's gotten it. And when he doesn't get it, he doesn't say a peep. And he's, you know, just a really good dude. Uh, just from a, from like a player, uh, not necessarily on the court perspective, like off the court and just how he is. I really liked Courtney Lee a lot Uh, on the court. I liked him too. It's not to say I didn't like his on court production, but off the court, he seems like a really good vet. Uh, So in that respect, I think they got a good locker room guy because he's, he's not a guy that causes any trouble. He's maybe not like the leader type from what I can tell, but he's a guy that just kind of knows his role plays basketball and, and that's it. You know, he's not there for the drama or anything. So that's, that's a good thing. But as far as on the court, I mean, he had a career year last year, uh, particularly from three point. Uh, I think he shot again. I I didn't pull percentages, but it was it was over forty percent last year from from three, which was a career best for him. And uh, it it was generally a good year. You know what I mean? He he had a little bit of, I guess there's a little bit of drama with him last year because last year under Jeff Jeff Hornacek he was like expecting that he was going to be a starter and then Jeff sat him a couple games and then you know that created some drama because Lee thought that he should have been starting uh but the Knicks you know had the illusion of playing for something last year because they started off the season you know actually playing pretty well when Chris Stapps was was healthy and all that and almost like they could have competed for the playoffs and stuff but uh he overall he was really good he's he doesn't do much off the dribble uh he's best if he can just take you know take shots uh one thing that will probably drive you guys nuts is that his like signature frustrating move that he does is he'll pump fake a three-point shot and then take a step inside the line when he gets (laughs) the guy off his feet and take a a long two instead yeah uh so that's not great but 
overall, like he's a good shooter. Uh, his defense, I think, at this point in his career is a little overrated compared to his overall like reputation, uh, which is as a good defender. I think he's just kind of he's an okay defender at this point. I, he's certainly not a lockdown guy or anything. Like he'll play good team defense, but he's not the guy that's gonna you know shut down James Harden or something for you if you need that at this point. Well, who does but, at this point? Yeah, yeah. I mean, nobody can truly do it except Frank Nilakina. Frank Nilakina does it Ooh. pretty well. Ooh. Harden shot one of six against him in that sixty-one point game. He was like the only guy that gave him trouble. I know. I'm but, well. I'm well aware. I'm a subscriber to Nick's Reddit. I'm very aware that Frank Nilakina <laughs> stopped James. Yeah, you want to talk about polarizing players on the Knicks? He is the polarizing player on. What the is Knicks. okay? So, look, give me the the uh, lowdown on Trey Burke first, and then we'll get to the Frank Nilakina stuff. <laughs> is there Frank Nilakina stuff? <laughs> um. Yeah, Trey Burke. I don't know. I found Trey Burke to be kind of, uh, kind of frustrating to watch as a player. Uh, it, it depends on what role you have him in. Yeah. If you're relying on him for anything too crazy, he's not going to be a good player for you. Uh, he had. He was another guy that had sort of a career year last year. Yeah, he had a forty point game last year, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and you know he had a I think a thirty something point game against the Celtics this year too. So when he's like really really clicking. He's a pretty good scorer, but my knocks against him are this. He's uh, extremely isolation prone and does not look to move the ball very often, especially if he feels like he's the guy that's got to score the ball at that moment, which he tends to always feel that way. Uh, He sometimes will get deceivingly high assist totals, but I don't think he's a particularly great passing point guard. He's mostly out there to score the ball. And a lot of his game is predicated on making mid-range shots from the elbows because that's just like his sweet spot. And if those are missing, it sucks. And like he sucks and it's just not a good time (laughs) Um, because that's, that's where he gets like his whole rhythm going like for his whole game is from the elbows and from, you know, shooting his mid-range shots there. So I, I was (laughs) a lot of people and I feel bad because uh, Trey Burke, unlike Porzingis, put out a really nice, you know, goodbye, thank you to New York and all that. Yeah, yeah. And I was, I was very happy to see that, and that was touching and whatever. But so many people were like, the second that they saw that Burke was gone in the deal, they were like, oh, thank God, Burke's gone. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> so it's, I don't know. I I doubt that he's going to be asked to do too much on the Mavericks, because uh, you guys have Brunson who's playing pretty good, right? Yeah, we love Br- we love action Brunson so much. Yeah, yeah. So Brunson's good. Um, so hopefully Burke won't cut into his playing time or whatever, and he'll just kind of be like a third, fourth guard on the bench. But I don't know. He he has his moments, but all in all, I think I think he had a really unsustainable stretch of good play uh, to end last season, and that carried over into this year. And had some people thinking that he could be more than that, and then he sort of just came back to earth and regressed to the mean. And he's just he's not. He's not a starter. He's probably not a backup. You can maybe keep him on as a third point guard on a team. And that's about what I'd be comfortable doing with him. Of course, that means that on the Knicks this year, he played significant minutes at times. (laughs) That is how it is. Uh, We understand that kind of a team. Two years ago, the Mavericks were definitely that kind of team. And then Yogi Ferrell came on and kind of did what Trey Burke did. And he's thinking, oh, man, dude, this guy's awesome. And then he goes to the Kings, and he's not really doing a ton right now. Um, So... The 
what? So there's been this whole rivalry since they were drafted. Frank Nilakina versus Dennis Smith Jr. It just seems like the you know the two fan bases, and there are definitely it's so odd. There are very fervent Frank Nilakina stands, and then there are extremely fervent Dennis Smith Jr. stands. Anytime we mentioned trading Dennis Smith Jr. on this podcast, I would get you know five to six tweets almost instantly of guys saying, "I can't believe you said that." Blah blah blah. You guys keep trying to. You know, trade Dennis. How dare you try to trade Dennis and all this stuff? Even after he went through his whole thing where he didn't quote unquote, you know, request a trade, but he he pretty much did. Uh, even after all that, they're they're saying we have to keep Dennis. I can't believe you guys are trying to trade Dennis all this time. Blah blah. He's gonna be a future all star. All this stuff. That that really sounds like a mirror image of how a lot of Knicks fans treat Frank. Is it? It's, it's so weird, right? Yeah, it's very funny. Uh, I don't know. I don't really buy into the whole like like so let me put it this way. I don't think that the like quote unquote rivalry is going to affect those two at all now that they're on the same team. What if it does because... though? Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that just be hilarious? <laughs> we, we hear about them going at each other in practice and during a game, you know, Dennis steals the ball from Neil Keener, won't pass to him. Just <laughs> <laughs> That would be funny, but they're pretty well on record as being like good buddies. Like I guess they they actually became pretty good friends uh, through the draft process. Yeah. So they actually like really like each other. Like after every Knicks and Mavs game, you can always see them standing there for like a solid couple minutes talking to each other. So I don't really buy that there's going to be any actual issues. I do think that a lot of Knicks fans now are going to have this like weird feeling where they're going to have to like acknowledge Dennis Smith as a guy who's not like a total waste of space. <laughs> yeah. Just cause... go delete all your tweets, guys. Everybody just yeah. go delete all the tweets that you sent out about Dennis. I mean, basically, like, the argument for for Dennis versus Frank is that Dennis is obviously a talented offensive player and, you know, has his flaws or whatever, but that's, like, his side of the ball. And Frank is, like, a monster defender and is still really figuring it out on the offensive end. So I think there's, I think there's actually a good chance that they could work well together. And I hope that, from the Knicks' perspective, I hope that Fisdale puts Frank and uh, Dennis out there together and has them as like his backcourt duo, because I think there's a lot of things that could work between the two of them in the same way that like we have Emmanuel Moutier now, who's in, in my opinion, like just a, a worse version of what Smith is going to bring to the table. Yeah. And you know, Smith uh, or rather Moutier and, and Frank work pretty well together. So I think Smith and Frank could actually be a good combo for us. Yeah, they need to come up with some kind of, you know, bio, like, morphing thing where you can just combine two different players. We've talked about this a lot with uh, guys on the Mavs bench, whether it's, like, Dorian Finney-Smith and Ryan Brokoff. If you could just give Dorian Finney-Smith Ryan Brokoff's offensive game and his jump shot, then he would just be a perfect role player. And if you could you could fuse together Dennis and Frank, that would just be a great combination of, of two players. I think Dennis and Frank, if you fuse them together, would be like all NBA in two years. Like <laughs> that would just be a, like if you could take if you could take all of Dennis's like scoring ability and just put everything into Frank's body. Yeah. And oh, and then also give him also give Frank Dennis's athleticism in yes. Frank's body. I mean, oh my God, it would just be a dirty <laughs> player. That would be so good. <laughs> they should just work out. Just work out together, guys. Try and figure it out and learn from each other. Try to figure it out. Well, they'll, they'll have some time because they're on. You know. Uh, parallel rookie deals now, so they'll get to kind of grow together. I'm actually, I, I'm actually, I was personally before that draft. I mean, I I had talked myself into being okay with 
any of the three options that were linked to the Knicks at their pick with Frank, uh, Dennis, or with Malik Monk. And I was actually, I wanted to draft Dennis Smith, but I wasn't like vehement about it like some Knicks fans were. Like some Knicks fans thought it was the biggest mistake ever made. And I was like, <laughs> well, I was don't, like look. Isn't that, isn't that the MO of all Knicks fans though? To think that just any move at any given moment could be the worst move ever made. I think that we get a little bit too much shit for that. Like, <laughs> I, I'm sure that the sure booing, that uh, booing of Porzingis on draft night, man, that that just that, threw it all out of whack for for that whole situation. Yeah, I will say I was in the building and it was just as bad as it looked on TV <laughs> for the Porzingis draft. And I'm ashamed to say that, but I didn't boo. Like, wait, I, hold I on, was, were you the crying kid? How old are you? No, <laughs> no, thank. Don't ever call me that again. I hate that kid. <laughs> um, that kid. Do we know like, that kid? Like, is that kid around still? Yeah, he was he was at the Knox draft and he booed Knox too. No, get out of here. That's shut a, up, you stu- Well, because I guess that's his, his thing now, right? Like he, the floss kid. That's his thing now. Yeah, his dad's probably like some like gazillionaire and yeah. buys them like floor seats to the draft or whatever. And it's just like it's ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> they've shown him every single draft since oh, of the course. Porzingis one, uh, and it's super frustrating as Knicks fans because the kid is stupid and his dad is stupid. And they don't know what they're talking about. Like, I think probably 80% of Knicks fans, you know, like actual people that know what they're talking about, knew that Knox was like almost for sure going to be the pick when the Knicks were drafting. Yeah. And everybody had done their research probably at that point. And I mean, Knox was a pretty good prospect. Yeah. You know, he was he wasn't like a bad pick there. Yeah, we liked him. Yeah. And and so, you know, I think everybody just ESPN in particular wanted it to be like a booing situation. Oh, of course. And it's like, well, who else would you take there? Like it was like it was either him or Miles or Macau, you know, and it's like none of the other two were lighting the world on fire either. So I think Knox is probably the better out of the three. It seems so far. So no, I, we love we loved Mikhail Bridges so much and we will we will stand for him even far away, <laughs> even on a different franchise. Isaac and I. Uh, the last two years, we did these draft profiles, and, and Mikhail Bridges, we had him all the way up to, I think, number five on our board. We were we were a little over the top with our Mikhail Bridges love. Yeah, I really liked him, too. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I liked I liked uh, Bridges, but I just – I could have seen the pick, you know, going either way, and I wasn't – I certainly wasn't upset with Knox. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, and having uh, Frank, you don't really want a Frank and, uh, you know, a Mikhail Bridges, and you're just kind of getting two of the same – sort of situation yeah exactly so but yeah anyway to get back to like frank and frank and smith now tell me more about the crying kid tell me more about that that's what i want to hear more about i can if you want i mean (laughs) it unfortunately he's well documented at this point the best the the best slash worst part which you know probably was a result of him having like a super uh super rich dad or whatever was uh he booed porzingis like mercilessly on draft night and did his little like if you notice you could never really see it in the little video that went around but because it was like dark in there but he was holding out a phone he was like taking a snapchat of himself like doing that and that was the whole reason he was doing it was to like just get attention and of course he got it and ESPN gave it to him in spades but then like two months later when Porzingis was playing really well the kid got to like meet him pregame in the tunnel got like a signed jersey like all this other stuff and I was like this is crap dude like I did not boo Porzingis on draft night, and I didn't get a free jersey. Like this is bull. <laughs> but and I didn't get to meet him. Like Jesus Christ! But well, now you don't yeah. want to meet him, so. No, now I don't. Yeah, now I think he's a jerk. So. <laughs> well, Enjoy we will take. Jerk. 
We will take that jerk, and we will uh, play him next to Luka Doncic, and I'm excited to see that next year. But, uh, Alex, thanks so much for your insight. Thanks for uh, joining us on Locked on Mavs. Do you have uh, any wor- anything you want to plug, anything you want to tell listeners if they want any more uh, Knicks content? Well, obviously check out Locked on Knicks if you're – if you're into listening to some more Nick stuff, actually legitimately, if you guys want, like if any of the locked on maps listeners want a little more in-depth uh, Nick's perspective on the whole thing, we recorded about an hour long pod uh, on the night of. So feel free to check that out. If you feel so inclined and locked on maps, listeners love pods that are an hour long. They, they, they just crave them every single day. They say they get mad at me if it's under 30 minutes. It's just, it's very interesting how much they love long pods. So th- are, that's right you up your actually, alley guys. Are you actually being like for real with that? Or there, no? You know, yeah. I'm not, not sarcastic at all. We literally <laughs> days when I, if I go under 30 minutes, I will get a couple tweets from people. It's, it's very funny. And I, I enjoy it a lot. I think. <laughs> Yeah, well, we we go over 30 almost every time. Every single day we're like, oh, we'll keep it to like 28 minutes today. And we're like, nope, 45 minutes later, we're we're right back in it again. (laughs) So there you go, guys. It's right up your alley, all of you. But um, yeah, so that's that. Also, you know, as you mentioned, check me out on Posting and Toasting. We're SB Nation brothers here. Uh, Posting and Toasting or at PT Nick's blog on Twitter. If you feel so inclined for my mostly non-Knicks takes anymore, because I have too many like actual Knicks Twitter accounts to run now, you can check me out uh, at the Alex Wolf on Twitter. But there's it's mostly just bullshit that I tweet off my account now, which maybe would be more preferable to a Mavs fan that doesn't want to just hear about the Knicks. So check me out. Check me out on Twitter. There you go, guys. Thanks so much for listening to Locked On Mavs. Peace out. Boom. Boom.